0: Hey there and welcome. This is the Skins Podcast produced by the Facade Tectonics Institute. With invited industry thought leaders, we take on all things building skin. We are extremely grateful for the support of our members and sponsors who continue to support us through this uncertain time. This episode is brought to you by premium sponsors of the 2020 World Congress, including Shuko USA, Karari America, Pole Facades. Technoform North America, Walter P. Moore, Roshman Group, and Permistolisa North America. Check out the links in our show notes for more information on these leading industry organizations. Hey, facade geeks. This is Mick Patterson with the Facade Tectonics Institute, and welcome to the Skins podcast. 118 authors managed to navigate a blind peer review process, many for the first time administered by the Institute's Scientific, Artistic, and Technical Review Committee. Four of these papers were selected by committee chairs, Professors Noble and Kenzick, at the University of Southern California School of Architecture. We'll be interviewing these authors over the next four weeks, leading up to the World Congress, where all 118 papers will be presented. The presentation sessions are the centerpiece of Facades Month, August 2020, and will take place on consecutive Wednesdays in August, with additional workshops held on Thursdays. So please join us in celebrating these authors and supporting the Institute. It's going to be a great event with abundant learning opportunities in our pursuit of lifelong learning. There are some absolutely great papers in the mix. I'm witness to that. I've seen them. For more details and to register, visit Facadetectonics.org or reach out to us at events at facadetectonics.org, or simply use the links included in the show notes. So let's jump into an interview. Hi everybody, I'm here with Stefan Katz. Stefan is a senior associate and technical director with Gensler. Uh, in out of the Chicago office primarily, but he's worked globally. Uh, Stefan, uh, a couple of things I want to I want to first of all thank you. For writing the paper that we're going to be talking about, and also taking the time to do this podcast with us and talk about the paper, so this is basically a uh, case study project, a very detailed, well written, and also let me—I almost forgot—let me congratulate you for uh, for this paper being selected as one of the best papers to be submitted for our upcoming, our postponed but upcoming August. World Congress, which is just right around the corner. There were a few papers that were selected as the, the best of the batch. We had over 100 papers, and yours was was one of them. So congratulations on that, and thank you for, for doing it. Thank you for being here.
1: Well, Nick, thank you for having me. Um, it's quite an honor. The um, Saad Textonic Institute is a fantastic organization, and i super proud to represent my firm, Gensler, and the client, John's Controls. Um, It was a big team effort and, uh, you know, lots of people involved on the client side, engineering consultants, contracting, you know, the LDI, everybody. And I'm kind of the person who gets to talk about it, but I want to recognize, you know, the big team efforts that went into
0: this. Yeah, so it's like I was saying. This is a, a, a case study project. It's a very, it's a single project. It's a very detailed case study uh, uh, with a lot of um, a lot of technical information. Uh, there are uh, detailed drawings. I mean, it's really, really a great case case study. Uh, and I think it's going to be very informative to a lot of people, uh, you know, ultimately want to take a look at this. But this is the, as I understand it, uh, Stefan, this is the Asia-Pacific headquarters for Johnson Controls. It is, yeah. And it's in located in China? Yes, it's in Shanghai. Um, so
1: Johnson Controls, um, at the time we uh, started the project, they were based out of Glendale, Wisconsin. Um, they've since merged with Tyco, on uh, their are um, headquartered in Cork, Ireland now. Um, But uh, John's Controls um, does a tremendous amount of work in Asia and their Asia Pacific headquarters uh, is located in in Shanghai. And they were renting office space um, in Shanghai, um, but saw the need um, due to the growth in China and Asia uh, to build their own headquarters. So it's about 35,000 square meters. um, And it's on the west side of the city Near Hongqiao Airport, which is a really interesting area because there's a lot of headquarters buildings and office buildings going up um, in that part of Shanghai. And uh, there's a, a 24 meter height restriction though because of the flight path um, for nearby Hongqiao Airport. Hongqiao is the sort of regional airport for for Shanghai. Uh, Pudong is the major international airport, um, but uh, it also happens to be near um, Uh, a waterway called Suzhou Creek, and Suzhou Creek was, for many years, a neglected waterway. It was very polluted, mostly industrial use, and the city has really recognized how important that waterway is now, and they're starting to clean it up, and it really has become kind of an inspiration for the project.
0: Stephen, why don't don't you uh, describe the, the project, the building itself, for our listeners?
1: Sure. It's um so like I said, it's uh it's uses headquarters, and it's um it's about 35,000 square meters, and like I said, due to the um, uh, proximity to Hongqiao Airport, we can only keep it about six stories. So instead of uh it's 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 a very long thin building, and the piece of land that it's in it was a narrow, uh, very long piece of land, and that made the floor plate a little challenging at first because you know one of the goals was to build a sense of community in this building and when you have a floor plate that's really long and very narrow we were worried that you know that wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to achieve that so we took two bars of the building in terms of floor plate and shifted them a little bit and then in the middle we created a kind of giant community zone with a very large atrium. So imagine two bars that are bent in L's and where the two L's would overlap, we put the community's atrium in the middle. Um, And then below it is, you know, some parking. But what's really special, we think, is the fact that we're located on Sujo Creek. And Sujo Creek um, is being master-planned by an Australian, uh, landscape firm called BAU and they master plan this uh, river walk all along Sujo Creek. So one of the key design elements we wanted to maintain was having the community still gain access to that uh, river walk. So we lifted the front third of the building up um, uh, by six meters and have a, there's a walkway underneath where the public can essentially um, have direct access to that waterfront. So we didn't want to have our building gain all the foothold, you know, on the waterway. We wanted the, the community around it uh, to still have access to it. Um, it's a big investment on the part of the owner. Um, you know, there uh, expands. Uh, it's almost like a highway bridge size um, element that, that
0: lifted this part of the building up. Yeah, that's one of the things that I found most interesting about the project was the the integration, not only the integration of public space, but the integration, uh, the very, the very well thought out uh, and pervasive integration of outdoor space into the building.
1: Yeah, you know the um, one of the other things we recognize it in uh, in Shanghai in particular. You know, there's uh, there's kind of there's a very it's a very tight labor market. And to get the best and the brightest to work for your company, I think John's Controls recognized that not only do they need a great office environment within the building, but they also wanted people to have access to outdoor space. Uh, and we didn't want it to have just one big plaza where, where you know, outdoor spaces. So we created a network of distributed uh, small, medium, and large-scale outdoor spaces so every floor... Has access to some sort of terrace or outdoor space, and the great thing about that is it gives you a choice of where to work. If you want to work inside, um, you can do that. If you want to take a break and get some uh, some fresh air outside, you can do that. And it, it just became a nice way to give people a place to uh, experience a little bit of br- break in the day. And I think as a as a tool for the for productivity it really helps a client because they they design some of their systems in this building they have their c-suite here they have a little bit of everything it's sort of like a mini headquarters you know for their whole firm and this way i think they, they gain a lot of uh, access to otherwise space that might not be usable which you know in a dense city like shanghai you know with 24 million people that's a really valuable thing to have
0: yeah right the, uh, the, another really interesting thing I think about the building is the, when you separated the, the thing into two buildings, you created this opportunity for this uh, large atrium space in between the two buildings, which, uh, you know, I think is a great feature. And also the stairways and the, the, the thinking about connectivity, uh, you know, uh, between the people, the occupants of the building and that kind of thing. Can you speak to that part of it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, having the ability to um, connect different departments within the same building, um, both laterally and vertically. In other words, you're not just on it going up to a different floor, but across the atrium, you can have visual connections um, and maybe some chance encounters with people from other departments that you might not have had. Let's say if you're interested in a sort of high rise with a narrow floor plate and people use the stairs. Um, instead of the elevators, which contributes to a sense of well-being. You're getting exercise, you're moving around, you're sort of getting active during the day, which we think is a is a great thing. And it's also um, great for the visual connections, too, because we know in the, uh, you know, moving ahead with office buildings, um, proximity to people, particularly in the current environment, is, is a challenge. But still getting that visual connection, we think is important. And it's also a place we also created. Make like a large skylight over that atrium, so there's a lot of natural light uh, that, that you know just suffuses throughout the space, and um, it just really makes for kind of a pleasant place to kind of be and work.
0: Yeah, the, the you, you talk uh, in the paper about balancing three three drivers, uh, one being performance, and this thing. I mean, the the, the, the title of the paper the first triple certified facade merging sustainability and building well-being. Tell us what that, the, the, the triple certified facade is about.
1: Sure. So we um, we went after three kind of sustainable uh, benchmarks. One was probably the most well-known, which is USGBC uh, lead score. And for that, we achieved lead platinum, which is, you know, that's, that's a challenge, any, any market. And then, China, it's definitely a challenge too, just because you're working through an LDI, you're working through a Chinese contractor. It can really be challenging to get all that paperwork right to to achieve those scores. We also went after um, the Chinese version of that, which is uh, called China Green Building Design Label, and we hit three stars, which is their highest level um, certification. And we also um, went after another program called that's... um, was started by the IFC or Financial um, Finance Corporation World Bank, and it's called the EDGE Certification. And EDGE Certification is uh, a way to essentially do some uh, sustainable benchmarking exercise, kind of like USGBC or the uh, China Three Star, but with a lot less paperwork. And it, it can really be valuable in emerging markets. And we thought going after all three of these, I don't. we don't know of another project that hit all three, and we thought that was a great achievement. Plus, you know, the owner has, you know, they're in the building and perf- building performance indus- industry. They make uh, a BAS system, building automation system uh, called Metasys. And they also have uh, products they, ma- they make that are in the sustainable market. So we incorporated all of those into the building. And the facade is a key part of that, right? Because uh, it you know, it's essentially with a thermal boundary between the inside and the outside. And uh, we were, one of the key things we went after in this building was, you know, the window to wall ratio was obviously a big deal. And we were able to reduce that to a, a level that, you know, really helped
0: us get those lead scores. What was the, the final window to wall ratio I, did, I I saw where you talked about the window to wall ratio and you referenced you know a lot of office buildings being 70% or higher window to wall ratio and your team recognized the the value of of reducing the window to wall ratio to meet your, your your pretty demanding performance objectives to meet lead uh, platinum and all that stuff right. uh, what was your final window to-wall ratio? So
1: we hit 47% vision and 53% span or opaque. Okay. And we were trying to hit 40, um, which is you know the requirement for ASHRAE 90.1. Um, we just couldn't get to that. And we were gonna prove compliance through um, submission of an energy model. So, um, but we wanted to see how far we could push that. And one of the things that helped in this case is the building has uh, underfloor air delivery which meant we, are, we already had sort of a large spandrel condition right uh-huh. there. So so we opted to, we experimented with how high to take that kind of knee wall up, you know, that where the, where the under floor delivery spandrel piece was below. And we worked very carefully with a facade contractor to craft a very taut and, and what we think beautiful metal panel system at the spandrel condition. And we did that through a series of really extensive mock-ups uh, factory tours, you know, really working with um, the facade contractor and the LDI to kind of get that, you know, the, the panel-to-panel joint right,
0: the stack joint right, all that stuff to kind of look uh, like a, a really well-thought-out metal panel at the panel Commission. What, what was it that drove your, your, uh, your window-to-wall ratio then? I mean, what what kept you from getting to the 40%? Well,
1: the, so we, we still wanted the daylighting credit. Um, okay, so that was, what I,
0: that was my curious – I was curious yeah. about about the daylighting impact of the limited window-to-wall ratio.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the building had, like I said, a pretty narrow floor plate, and we wanted to get that daylight all the way back, you know, into the kind of core area. And we were toying with hitting that number, but we just felt that through the mock-ups we had done and some of the three-dimensional visualization – It just wasn't looking right when we dialed it all the way down to forty percent. So we just took it as close as we could get it, um, you know, without without we thought impacting both that you know daylighting uh, number we were trying to hit, and also just the feel of the building on the inside.
0: Right. Right. Well, I mean, but at least you know there was a recognition that you don't need to have floor to ceiling glass in order to to get the daylighting that you need.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it's tempting, you know, because that's you know you can, you I mean, those are be- There's a beauty to that, right? But uh-huh. we knew that we we if we had a, a well insulated metal panel system, and we detail the metal panel,
0: you know, joinery correct that it okay. that we think it would look good. Right. And you did some gymnastics with that too. I mean, there's some geometric complexity in, in the building and some different kind of materials that are incorporated. Like you did a GFRC panel uh, that, that was pretty complex.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said, we were along Sujo Creek, right? Which has this kind of winding river kind of geometry. And we thought we would take, you know, what a great metaphor for the building, right? So we tried to take that flowing pattern and reflect that on the building and with a curtain wall we 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 still we did true radius curtain wall panels and radius glass and then like you like you said we have a gfrc um kind of transition material between the upper part of the building and the lower and that we wanted this kind of monumental feel to that flowing ribbon of of gfrc and it really came out great it was a struggle to get um, the panels as big as we wanted, but we worked out a system where they essentially put up these GFRC panels um, in a kind of unitized fashion, and then um, we were able to fill in the joints on some of them, and they, you know, post-applied uh, essentially a, a almost like a mastic material in there. Um, it's kind of like a high elastic mortar and then they painted over it on site and we also decided to restrain the movement um the panel panel joint is has one, shares one uh structural restraint mechanism to, to minimize cracking essentially at that joint and i i went back a um about a year and a half afterwards we filmed a little um uh, movie about the building uh it's kind of four minute video and the panel the panel joints really have held up well
0: is that, uh, is that video available? I mean, is it, it is. is it, yeah. So in our show notes, well, if you send me a link, we'll include the link so people can take a look at the, the video. That'd
1: be great. Yeah. We have it hosted um, uh, on Vimeo. And we also have it hosted on our website, um, our binzo.com website. And it was kind of a fun project because how people move in and about the building was something you know that was a, it was kind of a big design driver. You know, getting the public access under the building, how the kind of connections in the building occur, and we went back with a videographer team and tried to essentially document that and see how people were moving. And we took a lot of time lapse photography to kind of you know just see what that looked like, and it was a really fascinating experience.
0: I love to see well-documented projects and you, you guys have done it in, in, in this paper. You have done a great job of documenting this project. And it sounds like that the, there are other ways that you have documented this uh, this work. So I think that's really commendable. So, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff in here about uh, in, in your paper also about a lot of focus on the project of, of well-being. And I thought that was really, really uh, you know, interesting too. And you talk about balancing the performance requirements with the well-being and the form that you're trying to create, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it it really is, I think, an exemplary uh, project, and it's great to have it documented in in the body of work where it will be available. You know, it's actually currently available. Uh, I think on on the Facade Tectonics website. So, you know, one of the things that that you know, I really enjoyed, and we 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 actually mentioned this, uh, you know, in our talk before we started the recording the podcast. Uh, I really enjoy talking with the technical directors uh, of the firms, and you are uh, a technical dir- director at Gensler. And one of the reasons I like I, I like that is because technical the technical directors really get the facade system as. The pivot point to achieving the project goals, right? You know, especially when they relate to well-being and sustainability and and all, all of this kind of stuff. I mean, you are you obviously have an appreciation for that. You've expressed it in this paper. You're uh, um, uh, you've submitted the paper to the Facade Tectonics, uh, you know, World Congress. You obviously have that kind of recognition of the the facade system. Can you speak just for a minute to to how you feel about that? Sure. Um, well, thank you for those comments. That's that's um, those are
1: those are great thoughts. I mean, so you're right. Uh, you know, a technical director is a challenging position. It's um, you. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot on the line. You're you're in the hot seat a lot about anything from code issues to how things go together to, you know, border conditions of where one facade system meets another to roofing. I mean, you name it, you're sort of in there working out just a lot of different stuff. Um, But what's great about it is you, you get to immerse yourself in the, in the kind of physical world of the building and the buildings be, you know, they're essentially like very complex machines that have, almost like a personality to them, I'd say, because each project's a little different. Um, and this building in particular, you know, it, it had really high sustainability goals that were driven not only from the client side, but also from our firm, Gensler. You know, we're, we're essentially trying to save the world, you know, by um, reducing both carbon emissions, you know, and, you know, embodied carbon and um, operational carbon in the building. And, you know, as a technical director, you're that bridge between the expression of the design, and then how the owner wants to have a really high-performing functional building, and there's no shoving anything under the rug. You know, you're there through the documentation, through the design, through construction administration. Uh, you're answering all kinds of RFIs, submittals, you know, questions. You're you're just all in. You're sort of being the complete architect. And that's what I, I really love. The other great thing is that you get to really work and mentor with um, great, great team members. Um, there are people I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, my former colleague, uh, Zia Taibji, uh, who was my counterpart in Shanghai, and she was just amazing. And she learned a great deal in this project and was just such a trooper and she really kind of made this project happen too. I also want to throw a shout out to uh, Ward Kamarowski, uh Debbie van der and, and Brian Pfeiffer at John's Controls um, who were just amazing clients to work with. So, so make you really, you get to see it all, which is what I like about being a technical director.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, yeah, and the, the, yeah, I, I appreciate your, who was your facade contractor on this project?
1: So it was a company called Net Fortune Far East, and they're based out of Shenzhen. Uh, so we did factory tours there, which were really amazing. They they were great to work with. Um, they understood the importance of taking the mock up seriously, and not you know just slapping something together. And when we had concerns, they they really we brought it down to the science of why we wanted something. Uh, there were times when they would say, you know, our local practice would be this. And we're, and we'd say, actually we're looking for that. And we would have some very open discussions that came down to really the science and engineering behind what's the best solution. Um, And that, you know, the owner too, um, John's controls, they have a very engineering based background and a lot of the client contacts you have, 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 you know, Of really intense degrees in mechanical engineering or other portions of engineering. And they were along the way with us in that whole ride, you know, where we would drill down into, you know, where's the vapor barrier need to go? You know, where's the weather barrier? Uh, It's a subtropical environment. How how do we best approach humidity and control and movement of air, all that stuff. We, you know, they weren't afraid to kind of get their hands dirty and really um, investigate what the best solutions were.
0: And what's interesting about that is that, Johnson Controls owns a very important piece of what we need to save the world, right? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I I fully support anything I can do for you guys in your quest to save the world. I'm all in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the the big goal, like you said, it's it's basically to save the
1: planet <laughs> because um, and there's different ways of doing that. You know, there's how much energy does the building use? You know, operational. Carbon. There's how much goes into the building in the first place, you know, embodied carbon. And then there's resiliency too. They love the fact that their building has the controllability designed into it, you know, from day one. Uh, they, like I said before, they make Metasys, which is a, a BAS system that can control everything in the building uh, and really fine tune the amount of energy being used um, on, on a daily basis. It it, it's really the way building owners need to look at how to um, operate their building and uh, they have an engineering background most of the client contacts and they're not afraid to dive into the weeds and really understand how we can tweak things in terms of either the facade or the cores or the roof any part of the building uh, they're they're all in on that and um, Ward Komorowski and Brian Pfeiffer in particular from John's controls were, were fantastic. They flew over here numerous times. Ward actually moved over there for a little while uh, for the project, and uh, they recognize the big picture of this project, which is really to, you know, make sure that the building is operating efficiently and that it has the resiliency in there, um, you know, down the road. Um, and and they were just a they're just a great partner.
0: Last question, Stefan. Uh, you. You had mentioned earlier that uh, you know this was a, a four-year endeavor on on your part. You spent some time in Shanghai. What did you what did you think of Shanghai? It's kind of like uh, going to the future when you go to Shanghai, isn't it? It
1: really is. It's um, I think it's it's a window into where cities are headed. Um, it's you know it has twenty four million people. Um, it, it's multimodal. Um, it has an incredible. Um, System of neighborhoods. Uh, it it really it's really amazing that people were fantastic. Uh, we have a we have a large Shanghai office that was kind of my home base while I was there, and they're just fantastic folks to work with. I think I think the city um, is is that kind of window into the future, and just in terms of the, the scale of it, and it was great to to spend a lot of time there and get to know it. Um, um, not just, you know, as a kind of tourist, but really understanding how people move in and about the city and how, how the effect of growth, you know, can be managed and can be looked at. And, um, you know, I think I would encourage anybody to go. I think it's, uh, it's just a wonderful place. It, it, it does, um, it does take some getting used to, but I think once you embrace uh, a city that big
0: and just explore it, it, it really gives a lot back to you. Yeah, it's a great place. All right, Stephen, I want to thank you. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Uh, I really look forward, uh, you know, to the uh, demise of the COVID-19 era, uh, when we can get out one of these days and, and, and shake hands and meet in person. Uh, but I really, again, appreciate your contribution in this paper and spending the time here talking about it with us.
1: Nick, thank you so much for having me. Uh, big thank you to Facade Tectonics Institute. Um, huge thanks to the client. Um, and uh, it's great. I, I, I agree. Once we have the ability to reconnect in person, we should do it. Let's save the world, man. Let's do it.